There could have been prophecy in the storm that blew up at the time of Julia's birth. May month was not a time for heavy gales, but the climate of Cornwall is capricious as any child ever born. It had been a kindly enough spring, as kindly as the summer and winter that had gone before it. Mild, soft, comfortable weather, and the land was already heavy with green things. Then May broke, rainy and gusty, and the blossoms suffered here and there, and the hay leaned about looking for support. On the night of the 15th, Demelza felt her first pains. Even then, for a while, she gripped the bedpost and thought the matter all round before she said anything. All along, she had viewed the coming ordeal with a calm and philosophical mind, and had never troubled Ross with false alarms. She did not want to begin so late. Last evening, she had been out in her beloved garden, digging round the young plants. Then, as it was going dark, she had found a disgruntled hedgehog and had played with him, trying to persuade him to take some bread and milk, and had only come in reluctantly as the sky clouded and it went cold. This now, this thing in the middle of the night, might yet be only the result of getting overtired. But when it began to feel as if someone was kneeling on her backbone and trying to break it, she knew it was not. She touched Ross's arm, and he woke instantly. Well? I think, she said, I think you will have to fetch Prudy. He sat up. Why? What is it? I have a pain. Where? Do you mean? I have a pain, she said primly. I think twould be as well to fetch Prudy. He climbed quickly out of bed and she listened to the scratch of flint and steel. After a moment, the tinder caught, and he lit a candle. The room flickered into view. Heavy teak beams, the curtain over the door moving gently in the breeze, the low window seat hung with pink grogham. Her shoes, that she had kicked them off, one wooden sole upmost, Joshua's spyglass, Ross's pipe, Ross's book, and a fly crawling. He looked at her and at once knew the truth. She smiled a pallid apology. He went across to the table by the door and poured her a glass of brandy. Drink this. I will send Judd for Dr. Choke. He began to pull on his clothes anyhow. No, no, Ross. Do not send yet. It is the middle of the night. He will be asleep. Whether Thomas Choke should be called in to her had been a dissension between them for some weeks. Demelza could not forget that twelve months ago she had been a maidservant, and that Choke, though only a physician, owned a small estate which, even if it had been bought with his wife's money, put him on a level from which the likes of her would be seen as unimportant chattels. That was until Ross married her. Since then, she had grown to her position. She could put on a show of refinement and good manners, and not at all a bad show at that. But a doctor was different. A doctor caught one at a disadvantage. If the pain was bad, she would almost certainly swear in the old way she had learned from her father, not a few genteel damnies and thy gods, as anyone might excuse from a lady in trouble. To have a baby and be forced to act genteel at the same time was more than Demelza could look forward to. Besides, she didn't want a man about. It wasn't decent. 
Her cousin-in-law, Elizabeth, had had him. But Elizabeth was an aristocrat, born and bred, and they looked at things different. She would far rather have had old Aunt Betsy Triggs from Mellon, who sold pilchards, and was a rare strong hand when it came to babies. But Ross was the more determined, and he had had his way. She was not unprepared for his curt, Then he shall be woke, as he left the room. Ross! She called him back. For the moment, the pain had gone. Yes? His strong, scarred, introspective face was half-lit by the candle. The upgrowing dark hair was ruffled and hardly showed its hint of copper. His shirt was open at the throat. This man, aristocrat of them all, she thought, this man, so reserved and reserving, with whom she had shared rare intimacy.